may have heard that Kelly Dillon is not doing well. Uh, I know that you want to be sure and pray for him. He's at uh, Carlisle House and uh, just doesn't have a lot of energy and uh, isn't doing well at all. So I assured him that we'd be much in prayer for Kelly during these days. And um, I know that his family's concerned about him also. So on Tuesday, Tom has a, a test appointment with the doctors, his heart. So he would, he would request your prayers also, Tom Bob, at uh, this time with uh, these issues. <laughs> God will be involved in all of that and directing all those issues as well. Good to see Isaac back from school. Goodness. He looks smarter. <laughs> uh, he read your, your uh, nephews, right? You really enjoyed that, or niece, or whatever. That. <laughs> I said that to somebody this morning. Oh, I know, it was uh, Judson. I said, boy, you look smarter since you got back to school. I don't know if he agreed with me or not. But, uh, I guess that's what's supposed to happen, isn't it, whenever those things occur. Well, tonight we're going to deal with another topic that probably isn't our favorite topic to deal with, and uh, sort of a part two of last Sunday night with the death of Sarah. You know, that's sort of a common, or at least a natural part of what life is all about is that we're going to end it one day. God's going to call us home. And it's never easy for us to think about those topics or those subjects, but it is reality. I've always wondered about parents who try to shield their children from death. I mean, it's going to happen. They're going to face it somehow. And uh, if you are around long enough, there is somebody that is close to you that you're going to miss, you're going to say goodbye to. And that's never something that we enjoy, but it is something that's very much a part of our days here on this earth. But you know... I read this statement. I thought this was really, really a great statement to make. There is scarcely anything more beautiful or inspiring than a calm, bright, peaceful closing of a long and honored life. Isn't that true? There is nothing scarcely, there is not, there is scarcely nothing more beautiful and inspiring than the calm, bright, peaceful closing closing of a long and honored life. Seeing God work in a heart, watching God work in different areas, seeing how he moves in that person's soul and how they respond to that wooing of the Spirit. Very few things are nearly as inspiring as that to see somebody who has lived a long life and done it for the Lord. And allowed God to work and allowed God to move and to continue, continuously prod and work in their life. It's also like a summer sunset. It floods the whole scene with brightness and glory. You know those kind of folks, don't you? Some of you all have been married to some of those kind of individuals or you've had parents that were those type of individuals or some sibling or some relative of yours. And when that time of life comes, it is sort of like a summer sunset. And especially when one has to struggle towards the end with pain, seeing that person released to the care and the comfort of God is something that is very, very significant and encouraging to all of us as well. Because of knowing where that 
future lies of that person. Being a part of God's kingdom and being with him forever and ever. And again, when we think about passing, we always think about the fact that one's with Jesus Christ and what a blessed thing it is to be able to have that kind of confidence. And I know there's people in this room tonight who are looking forward to seeing their relatives and their loved ones again because they have that kind of peace and confidence in the life of someone who has passed on before them. And I like the phrase, long and honored life. Somebody who has served the Lord. And that really is what's true of Abraham. 175 years. I don't know anybody. I don't think I'll ever meet anybody who's going to live to be 175 years old. You know, that's just for us hard to understand. That truly is a long life. That's almost two centuries close to it, isn't it? And to think of a person being used by God, being moved by God for all those days and all that time period, truly tonight is comforting, and I trust it comforts your heart, especially if we are going through those times of difficulties on our own. <clears throat> and so tonight we want to look at the ending of Abraham, and this will draw our time together of looking at his life and his experiences. The last two points I have are sort of overviews of his life that I hope to be able to pull together some characteristics that have summarized him for us over these weeks in which we have spent looking at his life. Tonight we have four things. The first of all is going to be a crowning experience, and then we're going to see closing events. And then thirdly, I'm going to have some characteristic elements of his life. And fourth, there's going to be a God, God's viewpoint of Abraham's life. They'll be on the screen for you. I have some subpoints for you tonight also. The crowning experience of his life was chapter 22, but I think 24 is also a crowning experience. <clears throat> when you read the events that have happened here in chapter 24, we find that truly this was a very important time in his life. And uh, there's a number of things that happen as far as his life is concerned. First thing, and put it on the screen for me here. I've walked off without my outline again. It's back in the back, so if you can do that for me. This first thing under the crowning experience is the enjoyment that he had in his life, the enjoyment of divine blessings. Uh, we all have divine blessings, I would trust, that we can enjoy. But the first verse of chapter 24, to me, was, uh, was, was a really a, sort of a, not a shocker, not, you can't use that language, it was a... Uh, just sort of put things together for me as far as his life is concerned. It says he was old and he was well stricken in years, in age. When you think about well stricken in age. That means that he has been through the meal, hasn't he? And folks, we have looked at those times. He has been through, hasn't he? He's been through some good times and he's been through some <coughs> bad times. It's been times of blessings and Times when he's had to look to God for strength. But the last part is, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Isn't that a great phrase? Look back over your life, just for a second. Sort of take a glimpse, and you're different ages here tonight, so all of our glimpses are just a little bit different. But as you sort of review the events of your life, 
Has the Lord, has the Lord blessed you in all things? Now, I'm sure for all of us, there's been times of maybe backsliding. Maybe that's the harsher word that we would use. Maybe a better term would be loss of fellowship. I think I like that a little better. Maybe there's been some times of loss of fellowship with our Savior. There's some times I'm sure we could all look at and say, boy, I wished I could have done that differently. And that's sort of a common phrase, isn't it? And I wished I could have handled that situation maybe just not as I did. But when I look at this and I think about Abraham, and he said, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Everything that Abraham endeavored was filled with God's blessing. It's a great testimony. I would hope that would be true. There's some times in my life that we don't want to rehearse tonight, and we don't want to hear about it either, and I don't want to talk about it either. But you know, I'm sure all of us have those times in our lives, don't we? And yet, to think of God's blessings in all of our lives has to be a tremendous asset to all of us. Those words really do sum up the life of Abraham. This is a man who has, for the best of his ability, and I think that phrase, I want to, I want to couch it with that phrase first of all, but the best of his ability has tried to do what God wanted him to do. And you know, that's what needs to be said of us. To the best of our ability, we have submitted ourselves to God to do what God wants us to do. What a great way to end the life. What a great way to put the uh, exclamation point at the end of the sentence and say, yes, that's what I want to be. He's still rejoicing in God's consciousness. He's still rejoicing in God's presence, in God's favor. God is still blessing him at 175 years of age. That mountaintop experience with Isaac had to be a high point of his life. And yet, all those years after that that we saw before Sarah passed, and there was a few years after that that he lives himself, we'll see. But it still yet is a high point of his life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says this, The, blessings of, the blessing of the Lord it maketh rich and adds sorrow and adds no sorrow to it. That's a great phrase, isn't it? <clears throat> God's blessing upon one's life is tremendous. After the enjoyment, notice why he is involved in this is because of this persistent faithfulness. Secondly, this persistent faithfulness to the, to the divine will. He is persistently faithful to what God wants him to do. That's why God could bless him is because he has focused his attention on being the kind of person God wants him to be. Verses 2 through 4. You know, he brings his oldest or his eldest servant, I guess his most trusted servant, that ruled over all that he had. This would be much like Joseph's job as a steward in the house of, of a Potiphar. And he says, I want you to take a wife, but not of the sons of the daughters of Canaan, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go to my country and my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Persistent faithfulness. He wants God's divine will. He clings with undiminished faith and persistence to the revelation of God concerning him and his seed. Hebrews chapter 11 would also help us with that. It talks about he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. But he is constantly clinging to this understanding that God has a country for him God has a people for him. God has made promises to him. And he's going to have those promises fulfilled. He's going to do what he has to do in order to 
make this revelation of God's goodness in his life a reality. Do not, under any circumstances, did you catch that from the passage? Do not, under any circumstances, allow my boy, Isaac, to take a wife from the daughter of these Canaanites. Separation. The Old Testament is filled with separation. The New Testament is filled with separation. Do not allow yourself to be intermingled with the people of this country, this world. We must be separate from them. And so he understood that this would hinder the divine promise. He has been promised that he is going to have a son whose wife would be of his own seed. And so he is going to be sure that those things happen. <clears throat> And it's important for us to see that in this first few verses really deal with that whole area. And the oath that he gives to his servant clearly shows his desire. He says, I want you to do this and I want you to, you know, not be short in what you're doing. I'm determined to follow what God says. And I want you to do this for me. So, you know, this persistent faithfulness. Third thing I would say under this crowning experience would be the deep insight that he has into the divine purpose. He has some deep insight in verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Here is the explanation for why he states they should be doing this and why the servant needs to make this long journey. Verse 6, he says, And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bringest not my son hither again. Don't. I want him to go, and I want this wife to be found there. The Lord God of heaven... And here's his explanation, which took me from my father's house. Remember that? Or the Chaldees, Genesis chapter, six, chapter 12. <clears throat> and from the land of my kindred, and which spoken to me, and that sworn to me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He hath sent his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife from my son from thence. <clears throat> so he says, you know, I want you to do this. God has give us, given us his promise. This land is going to be ours. Now, what does he own of the land? Remember, the cave of Machpelah. That's all he owned, where he buried Sarah. That's the only part he'll ever own of the promised land. And yet, he says that God has given us this promise, this land. So he is living on promises. You know the old Warren Wearsby quote, we live on promises and not explanation. And boy, that is so true. God doesn't explain everything to us, but he gives us promises. And he gives Abraham some promises. And Abraham says, <clears throat> it'll happen. And when it happens, Abraham is perfectly clear that God's will must be accomplished. That's why God blesses him in everything that he does. And his purpose of God must always be maintained. <clears throat> he is living in light of the fact that God is working in every circumstance, in every situation. That's why this man can have God's blessings in his life. Fourth thing I want you to notice in this section is verses 7 through 9 that he possessed an absolute assurance of this divine favor. He's confident of this. Verse 8 and 9, <clears throat> and, if the women, and if the woman will not willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thine oath. Only bring not my son thither again. Don't take him there. You know, don't, don't happen there. He has, she has to come here. Servant put his hand into the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. God would prosper this errand that this servant is about to embark upon. <clears throat> he is going to send his angel before him to prepare the way. 
you ever think about God sending an angel before your life to prepare the way for you? As you look back over the events of your life, I'm sure many times you could say to yourself, that was God's protection. That was God's special desire in my life. God preparing the way. God getting everything ready for us. <clears throat> the angel's going to go ahead of him. And he's going to make way for him the things that need to be done. The promise was not to take the son out of the land. He tells him that a couple times. You don't take Isaac back. You bring her here. And, you know, we see this honor of this age of following God at all costs. He's an elderly man at this point, and yet he senses this favor with God. He senses this blessings with God. How important is it who we marry? Well, I think this passage really has a lot to say about that. Now, I'm sure you understand rather rapidly this is an arranged marriage. In an arranged marriage, parents arrange it, and you learn to love that person. That was just the way it was. <clears throat> but I read this this week. I thought this was phenomenal. You know that God only spends 33 verses on the creation of the world. Think about this. 33 verses God spends on the creation of the world. He spends 67 verses on the wife of Isaac, the son of the promise. Twice as much time in the revealed, holy, inspired Word of God <clears throat> do we have talking about who Isaac is going to marry as opposed to this phenomenal creation that God has placed us in. And I don't think that's an accident. He is pointing out to us how important it is because truly, when it comes to a mate, it will make or break a person, especially when it comes to ministry. I have seen individuals who God says, God called them to preach. And yet the young lady they married said, I'll never marry you if you're a preacher. They didn't preach. They've been successful, I'm sure, but not even where the place God would have them to be. What an important thing it is. And I think that's the stress that we are seeing <clears throat> in this section of Scripture. And so as parents and grandparents, young people as well, but parents and grandparents, I trust your prayer life is being redoubled about the mates that are being selected not only for your offspring but for the next generation. Because all of this is very important to the plan of God <clears throat> and to what God <coughs> would have for us to do. 67 verses. And during 67, we're not going to read the 67 verses, thank, thank goodness, right? We're not going to go through all that tonight. <clears throat> we're going to skip to the next section. But let me just run this down for you. Remember, he goes and he finds Rebecca. He has some prerequisites there. She fulfills those prerequisites. She goes home to meet the dad who is the brother-in-law or the, the brother. <clears throat> and, of course, she decrees to come back. And they are married at the end of the chapter. Beautiful chapter. You know, if you want to read that, you can read it for yourself. Beautiful chapter of how God works with Rebecca, and how he works with, with Isaac and all the details that works out in order to find this thing. But this had to be sort of the crowning experience of his life in this sense because <clears throat> this is the son of the promise. This is the son who will carry on <clears throat> the promise of God, the covenant. 
Secondly, I want you to notice the closing events of his life in chapter 25. So turn over a chapter with me. This would be after all of this happened. We have these closing events. And it says in verse 1 that Moses, first of all, he takes this wife. And so we find the first thing I want you to notice is that he takes this wife in his later years. We find that he is the one who does not have the position of Sarah's rank, of course. And he has this wife as he is about to die. And, of course, children are born to this wife. And the point that I notice about the closing days in verses 5 and 6, secondly, is that Isaac's position is very much protected in verses 5 and 6. Abraham gave to all that he had to Isaac. I'm sure he loved the other children. I'm sure he loved Ishmael. But Isaac is son of the promise. That's where God is going to be expressed. And so he's exalted Isaac over the rest of the group because of the position that God would naturally place upon Isaac. And he makes it clear that Isaac is the heir. Isaac is the one who God is going to send the promise through. He sends the rest of them to the east so that Isaac's position would be free from all kind of or any possible difficulties. And he sets here this wealth and everything that he has upon this one son who is the special child that was born to him in his own age. The last thing we notice in verses 8 through 10 is that he dies. He passes. 175 years of age, the first seven. These are the days of the years of Isaac's life, 100, three score, and 15. That's 175. Good old age. And he passes. And so death occurs once again. <clears throat> 35 years after his marriage, after Isaac's marriage to Rebekah, it would seem, is when he passes. From the time element that's put together here. And so they had a number of years together, and they enjoyed one another. But notice how it's stated, and and I think it's stated, it's interesting how the Bible states these ideas of death. Verse 8, and Abraham gave up the ghost, and again, died in a good old age, an old man, full of years. Do you get the picture? He's been been down the road a long way, three ways that he is considered to be an elderly person. He's full of years, he's an old man. And he was a good old age. And I think when I read those, <clears throat> I still think I'm back to chapter 24, verse 1, where the Lord blessed him in all of those areas. And what, what it's like to, for, to see somebody grow older and especially come into the years whenever uh, the Ecclesiastes passage talks about different parts not working as they used to. Ecclesiastes, what, chapter 10 or 11? And then still having this <coughs> faith and trust in God. And that should be all of our prayers that whatever age of life we find ourselves, that we keep this, this fervency and this faith in God. It doesn't pass from, you know, one age to another, but it continues on. First time this phrase is used in Scripture is, and he was gathered to his people. Now, I can't be talking about the tomb because the only person in there is Sarah. He's not talking about other relatives because the only person who's in the tomb at Machpelah is Sarah. So... He's not talking about all of his people. He's simply saying, you know, his life is over. He's going to be with the people that he has known. Others who passed on. And that same thing can be said of our lives, can it? Gathered unto his people. Isn't that a nice way of saying it? Gathered unto those who have passed on before. Those that you care about. 
those that you are concerned about, those that you love. And that's sort of the idea here of gathered to his people. And then we have the last play is the son, his two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. I don't know where the other guys are at. They must have gone to the east and been forgotten about. But Isaac and Ishmael buried him in a cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zophar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre. Here we find that he's gathered to his people and Isaac and Ishmael. Over their father's death, they pay their last respects and they heal the family problems that have come through. That's a great thing that happens too. It should happen. It doesn't always happen. But death should heal many family problems. Sometimes it makes them worse. But death should always bind together those who are left who love their loved ones. In a time of great assurance and understanding. So a crowning experience, closing years. Let me just end with, first of all, four characteristics of the life of Abraham. And then we're going to see three of God's viewpoints from his life. And they'll be on the screen for you. Four outstanding points of his life that I think are, a again, a, a concluding remark <clears throat> to the kind of person that he was. Very short. All Fs. First of all, his faith. Abraham was a man who took God at his word. Each step of his career, he took God at his word. That's important. Sometimes we have a tendency to take God's, we tend to take steps of faith at certain points of life, and then we sort of fall off and do something else or look for some other kind of advice. Abraham took God at every step. Well, what about when he lies about Sarah? Yes, I mean, he has his chinks in his armor. He's looked at him. Not a perfect man. But he still followed the overall pattern of God because after he did that, remember, he came back to the altar, fellowship again with God, worshiped him. He was a man who put his simple trust in the divine promise. That was his prominent feature of his life. When God told him something, he understood that God was going to do it. He put his entire life around the divine promise. Boy, that's a great challenge for us to do as well. His faithfulness, secondly, after his faith, and by that I mean faithfulness in the way that he expresses his belief throughout his life. His life is, his faith is proved by his faithfulness. Isn't it a great word? Isn't it great to be faithful? Don't you love faithfulness? Well, I do. I can go through the list. You know, I, I love it every time I turn the faucet on and the water comes out. I love it every time I turn the car key on it and it starts. You know, I, I enjoy those kind of things, don't you? I'm sure you do. I don't have to ask you. you know, and I, the list is long of things that we just enjoy, the faithfulness of being there. And, and the same thing should be true of our spiritual life. Faithful to God every time He speaks to us and prods us, removes us in some way. Abraham was a man who followed the steps that God laid out, and he did it in a faithful way for all that we can find. His faith, his faithfulness, thirdly, his fear. And by that I mean he had an attitude of reverence to God. He never forgot about the divine majesty. We looked at some of the names during events in the life of Abraham when significant things happened. He named places for that experience that he had with God. And those were stepping stones of 
God's working in his life. And as he stood there on top of Mount Moriah with his son, he truly understood that God owned it all. But yet God had, had lent it to him for a period of time. So he had a fear of God. He was able to see God in all of his glory. Last of all, after his faith and faithfulness and fear was his fellowship. His life was marked by a great fellowship and blessing with God. We saw it in chapter 24, verse 1. Even, I would say, to the end of his life here, when you see this, him being gathered to his people, the idea is marked by a great fellowship between this man and God because they had walked together a long time. God had proven himself faithful, and Abraham had responded to that faithfulness in a way that showed his love for him. What a great challenge for us. Every step of our life to be faithful. Not just at seasons of life. Not just when things are going well. Not just when things are the foxhole type idea where I've got to have him at those times of, of extreme emergency. <clears throat> we need him in all the point, points of our life. Whether it's the times of despair or the times of great blessing and fellowship allowing him to be the one who guides and directs us in every area. Lastly, after this crowning experience and closing events and his characteristic elements, the last thing I want you to notice with me is this God's viewpoint of David's life, of David, Abraham's life. God's viewpoint of his life, three things that I can find here. First of all is the divine purpose. God's will must be done. That was the point of the life of Abraham. And above all other things, this marks God's attitude. He chose, Dave, he chose Abraham to be the ancestor of the Messiah. He chose Abraham to be the one who the seed would be given to. Galatians chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3, chapter 3. He chose him to be the one who would provide this method for Jesus Christ to come and to be a blessing to all the world, the seed of the Messiah. And so this is the person, this is the, the line, this is the, this is the lineage of the future Messiah who comes and cares for the sins of the world. Your Messiah, your Savior tonight, comes through this one by the name of Abraham. And so this was God's divine purpose, and all of us in this world have a purpose that God has placed us here to do. It may not be thrilling as Abraham, but it's still, when you're in God's will, it's thrilling to be able to be used by him. And so God has a purpose for all of his children to be used by him. The divine purpose, the divine power, God never commands without his enabling. When God tells us to do something, he's also going to give us the power, the resources to do those things. He's going to accomplish as he, as he provides the strength for us. God isn't going to just have us do things just at some kind of chance. There's a purpose to it, but then there is a, there's a plan where he gives to us the power and the resources to perform those things. God's will always provides the strength to carry out what he has for us to face. Boy, that's a great promise. As God looks over your life, sees the things that he has for you, and you know, for us, we're always glad that it's way up there in the future, at least, and we don't know what's going to happen. But God not only has that plan, but then he also has the, 
the strength to carry us through those times, especially those difficult times, those low times, those times of extreme grief. He has that strength to see us through those times of extreme difficulty that we have to face. And also those times of great blessings that are part of our existence here on this earth. And so he has the divine power. His purpose, power, and last of all, his plan. How can the plan be accomplished in man is the answer in which God's word provides. God is going to accomplish his plan through us. Abraham was an instrument that God used. Abraham was simply a tool in the hands of the Almighty God. All of us are. And so, as he is accomplishing this plan that he has provided for us, we are instruments in his hand as well. And God's grace is sufficient for all of these times in our lives. And again, I know that you have experienced that in your existence, in your life. Those times whenever God's word has directed you in certain areas and then he has provided for you the grace to see yourself through those things to encourage you during those times. verse that comes out of Philippians that I think is, is great, and I know there's context to it. But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Of course, in that context, there are some things that they have already given themselves over to God, but we can still claim that promise tonight. That we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So maybe not in your past, but maybe some things you're facing. Maybe some things in your future that's going to come up. Only God knows what they are. And it could be times of great difficulty, great problems, and yet we have God's promise that he will see us through. And again, as you look back over your life, you can see those times whenever the grace and the mercy of God has carried you, you know, almost on like angel wings, as the psalmist states, angel's wings, carries you through those times. And who knows, we may need that again one day as we follow the footsteps that he has for us and the plan that he has for us in this world today. But again, won't it be great, and I know we're all in different stages of life, to be able to look back at our life and say that God has blessed us in every part of our life. Isn't that a great goal for us to live through? That we've had God's blessings on every part of our life. No matter what the age was, no matter what the circumstances were, we look to God and we allow Him to bless us. Father, thank you tonight for the fact that your blessings are with us.